Hey guys, welcome to the Masters of Modern podcast on the MMCast Network. We are a Magic the Gathering show talking about the modern format and each of the most awesome adjacent formats in Magic. We're brought to you today by the House of Modern, our unbelievable Patreon. That's patreon.com slash the MMCast. Please comment, leave your thoughts below, hit that notification bell, and subscribe if you want to keep getting updated on what we're doing here. And of course, follow along on social media with any of the relevant accounts. The information is in the description below. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll see you on the episode. And welcome back to Masters of Modern from home. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host. He's back. He may or may not have had it. But he is feeling better. Ben Bateman. What's up, everybody? I'm I'm here. I may still have it. We don't know. We just don't know. Your hair uh, looks it's great. impossible to gauge. It's impossible to gauge, but I feel okay. Uh, it just constantly feels like I'm cooking with a little too much smoke, which is annoying. But uh, you know, it's not like I talk on camera for hours at a time or anything. Yeah, you guys get to see what our uh, office slash homes look like. You got you got a team <laughs> action poster behind Ben, you got Admiral Akbar keeping things trap free uh in the Kess household um and uh while this stuff is happening spoilers we're going to talk about previews we talked about some of them last week with shivam when he was on we talked about the companions uh and uh they went into kind of like all of the different ways that they might affect modern and also just magic in general he like kind of broke down the process that went behind the bannings of uh the blue red one and got with you with that it was really interesting you guys should definitely check that out uh in the meantime make sure to follow us on twitter i'm at kess wiley uh you can find me at ben bateman media and we are at the mm cast uh we also there's a bunch of stuff in the beginning you can you know all the shout outs there so make sure to check this stuff one last thing is though make sure uh check out our patreon where there's a lot of cool stuff there it helps us pay for all the editing that we do that without it all of the technology that we have to be able to keep the show going during this time would not have existed uh so thank you all to our patrons and a big shout out to andrew kelso uh our noble of house modern noble of house modern keep 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 being a noble uh and Today, we are doing part one of probably what will at least be a two-parter uh, review of Ikoria, the, the most recent set. And I, I read, I think it's Ikoria. Ikoria? I don't know. I'm never going to say it correctly. This set is um, the worst set, I believe, in Magic history for my ability to pronounce the names of cards correctly. It's also I'm the so worst set in Magic screwed. history for ease of understanding of the mechanics. It's a very confusing set. I like definitely think that I definitely think that from a from a basic understanding of somebody who's played the game as long as I have reading these cards, I have to like think and reread them several times. There's like some wording that's really really strange. I think that mutate for sure has. It, it, we, it, there's two parts of it, right? This set definitely feels like the set where they're like, you know what, we amid. A significant amount of our, our audience is digital based. We have a game that is digital focused. Let's we have tools there and resources there to make it easier for a lot of those players. And due to sets that we've come out with recently, like Amonkhet, we've figured out technology to be able to make limited and constructed easier for paper magic. Like because from a constructed play perspective, stuff like uh, ability counters is easy to do, right? You like you can make your own. You can get cool ones. You can get like literally what I'm going to do is run around with a token of each like power and toughness that's common, but then also each one will have different abilities and I can use those for the tokens if need be. So that, 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 that exists. The big one I think is mutate though. I think mutate is such a confusing mechanic. I think it's probably really grokkable, right? I think that's where they're banking on is that once you play with the cards once you'll be like, Oh, I get it. This is easy. 90% of the times this makes sense. It's just when like reading mutate rules text, there's a there's a big brick of text there. And yeah, a lot of well, I also sense. think like, yeah, mutate, reading the rules text, understanding kind of like the when a thing mutates, like I there there are just like little pieces of it that I guess once I play, maybe it'll make a little bit clearer mm-hmm. sense. But I still like I'm finding myself with question marks. And then there's stuff like the ability counters where it's like it already feels like just keeping track of plus one plus one counters in the past has already been like a little hard to keep track of at times. So then adding like a bunch of different kinds of counters when if I don't conveniently have them, I just have dice. Mm-hmm. Like, which kind mm-hmm. of counter is that? Oh, I think I made a death touch one, right? That's what I decided. Stuff like that, that I think for casual play is going to be kind of a little weird. Um, and then the last piece of it, which is the that cycle of if you pay these two colors, it does this cards. Those five of them. Those 
are written in such a weird way. And I realize why they're written that way. The, 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 the best example I can think of is just like you're to be able to target something. Yeah. Like when you cast a spell, you have to be able to target it ahead of time. And then it checks what type of mana you're made you've used with it. And the word of card like that has to be weird when you're like changing what you could have targeted based on what you paid. Well, yeah, because it's base. it's basically Plax Manta and Cortisar and those cards are the same concept, except that those things are creatures that don't have to target. So they get to get away with the second part. If you paid this color, this thing happens. Whereas Correct. these to be able to target the second thing. Yeah. So anyway, it uh like you could yeah, they're just weird. It's but there's weird. a lot to talk about in the set. It's yep. a really interesting set. I think probably long term. I'm hoping, like most things that are complex in Magic, we end up loving all of it. I tend mm-hmm. to find things that are the most complex in the end are like the favorites. So let's hope that that's the case. Yeah, this this has a lot of like Lorwyn and Rise of the Eldrazi. And like these are sets that are famously like very complicated, but like limited all-stars, like some of the best limited formats of all time. But more for, you know, people that have a lot of experience drafting, right? It's not as focused on newer players and that that with arena existing the way it does it's going to be really interesting to see how people react to a more complicated draft format now that so much of drafting happens live um i mean even andrew brown uh front of the cast uh wizards employee and play design uh tweeted i think two days ago just that you know this is a set where not every card you see is going to be the same type of good that it would be in a different limited format so so what as you're playing uh, during the pre-release, make sure to do that. And, and one last final announcement. Um, I've been given the opportunity to uh, play early. Uh, it was really cool. <laughs> Wizards to let me live stream. So on last Wednesday, I was able to do a whole time travel is hard. Uh, a whole uh, early live stream of all of Ikoria. It was cool. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's we. you can. It's a thing. You like apply cool. for it. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> It was one of those, like, someone clicked the link, and I did. And then they sent it, which is sweet. So, yeah. So, I, I do think definitely, like, I'm excited. I'm really excited about Limited in this format. I'm really excited that, like, one thing that is, you know, there's fatigue on. And I think this set hasn't done a lot to maybe ease it out. But there, I, we'll, we'll, we'll find out because I think it's really based in the mechanics of this set is power level, right? Like, power level over the last year has been so above the top. And this set feels like it's continuing that with cards like Luros and just different things that they're trying out. Um, I think people are kind of like getting tired of just like, wow, this card's so good, which is a weird complaint, right? Like you're getting too much good stuff. I think part of that is there's kind of you always want your old cards to be relevant, right? Like that's, I think, part of why people are afraid of the power creep that's happened over the last year. But we'll 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 get into that a little bit over time. Um, not this week's episode. This is more of a review. But uh, today we're gonna just go kind of card by card, uh, alphabetically. There's not it's not a ranking. Not, we have I have no idea which one of these. Yeah, we're gonna maybe the rest. <laughs> yeah, we're just gonna talk about cards that we think are pretty cool and uh, try to not talk about too much chaff. Uh, a quick thing to talk about though, just in case you guys are listening to this. Um, please hit that subscribe button, obviously, if you're watching. But the other thing I was going to tell you is the other night I tried something out for the first time on our channel, and it seemed to have a pretty good response, which is I did a live brew, a modern brew on Moto. Um, uh, I built it on Tapped Out, and then I went and built the deck on Moto later on. And the idea is that I'm going to record some gameplay, and I'm going to actually put that video on our channel so you guys can see a fun, stinky modern brew that I come up with and the actual games played with it. The one that we built last night on the show was a uh, Hedron Alignment deck. And uh, I played some games with it. <laughs> I didn't record them uh, yet. I was going to enter like a daily. I will enter one. Uh, as it, as we built it, it's horrible. Uh, it's a really awful deck. The the side of it that is not Hedron Alignment is just a good Esper Control deck. And the card Hedron Alignment is god-awful in the deck. So I have to come up with something a little bit more competitive, I think, to waste some money on playing with it. But I will play some games with it. So you guys will see it and tune in. Uh, I'll be doing that uh, more often. I have really had a good time with it. And the comments were really positive. So, And by the way, I don't know if you need to go on a daily. I like... I like stream when i've streamed i just stream in like the two mans like the the play a game have fun. yeah because especially if you're trying weird stuff it's more fun to see just it being played than necessarily like oh i'm playing against the meta game i don't know yeah it may, maybe maybe so i could have probably i should have probably just recorded this tonight but that's uh that's all i wanted to say about that it was fun so go check it out and subscribe to the channel if you are not already and uh, my name has changed on Twitch. I'm twitch.tv slash Kess Wiley. It's the same as everywhere else. There's a whole story behind it. Don't worry about it. But if you were 
Search it for Kesko or you listen to an old episode that says go look at Kesko, twitch.tv slash Kesko. Don't do that. It's Kes Wiley now. All right, first card. Call of the Death Dweller. This is two and a black sorcery. Return up to two target creature cards with converted mana cost three or less from the graveyard to the battlefield. Put a death touch counter on either of them and then put a, a menace counter on either of them. So one of them gets death touch. One of them gets menace. It could be the same one. It could be different ones. Um, it lets you bring a one drop and a two drop back. I think this card to me, and I put this on the list, then miss didn't have it. I, I have it there mostly for in consideration for decks that are trying to combo with one and two drop creatures, right? Being able to put a Visser Seer and a Malira, or this is really similar to me. What's the three mana uh, sacrifice a creature, put two creatures in the play? Victimize. Victimize. Like, Victimize isn't in modern, and this has similar vibes to Victimize. Uh, yeah. It's worse because you're not getting anything you want back, and you don't, but you don't have to sacrifice a thing. So it's in a similar space. Um, yeah, it's an interesting. I mean, I think the part the part about this card that's the most interesting to me is that if you're the, the kind of deck that's trying to build a package like a like a gifts ungiven package, mm-hmm. this is a good card that could go along with the one drop and the two drop that kind of guarantees you're gonna be able to get what you want. So right. I think that's that's interesting. I wish this was a white card. How come? I I I, I like have liked that this type of like convert a mana cost reanimator based spells have been in white recently. Right, like this has felt like it meant to be a white's color pie, and then this is back in black. And I don't know how much. I mean, <laughs> I think this is a limited card first, so I think maybe it being black Definitely. is more important. Um, next, we have Cunning Nightbonder. This is flash spells with flash. You cast cost one less to cast and can't be countered. Yeah, so this card is cool, right? I mean, there's there's a, there's a very significant this card to me which is rogue uh people on our show have known for a long time that rogue is like a favorite creature type of mine and one that i've wanted to see more of in magic i think you know if you guys remember vexing shusher that's a card from like uh future site i don't know from like eventide era it's like hybrid red green hybrid red green and it can't be countered and then you can make a spell you control on counter by targeting it with like your hybrid mana or whatever mm-hmm. um this is kind of similar right it has like a similar feel you know that card was cool and standard and never really broke modern i think the fact that this has flashes uh really good and and like the fact that it reduces the cost of your of your um flash spells is really good it's interesting how this deck references a lot of stuff that if you have something with flash or like flash costs less because it means that it it specifically makes your like creatures that that have flash good and your counter spells not better which is a good thing because i don't think you want creatures that like reduce the cost of your counter spells it's usually not very fair if they have flash yeah there's like kind of a few things about this one just a flash two mana two one human is is also not irrelevant especially if it adds this kind of bonus to things uh something to keep aware of is it doesn't uh the cards have to have flash. So I saw this ruling, and I might be totally wrong, and, and, and you two might do, but I believe this was true, where cards that lets you play cards as if they had flash, because they don't uh, give them flash. You it, The wording for, like, uh, uh, what's the four-mana artifact? The blue ley line is, is obviously really famous as well. Uh, ley line of anticipation. But they... Vodalkanary. So they let you play cards as if they had flash. They don't give the cards flash. And so this doesn't make those cards cheaper um so 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 you it only works with cards that have flash printed on them um that being said there's still a lot of cards that that's relevant for being able to play this and then like a vencer effect or like anything in fairies even um yeah and like there are fairy cards that take advantage of the rogue half of fairy cards too so i think there's a lot of cool little tricky things you can do in a fairy shell uh with this card and it makes it like it just kind of powers out the deck in a way that's that's interesting I mean, making spell making spells that are sprite cost one is pretty good. That's I definitely like that. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> like that's just by itself is like a really fascinating ability. And and anything with flash that and power wise, it's like on curve, right? It's a two mana two tube with flash, which is like fine. Um, and then and then you just want to play as much as possible, so you can leave counter magic up, play it. It seems like yeah, like like Vanillian click and and Sign of Una and you know nimble destructionist and like you know spell queller like there's a lot of stuff that this combos with that i think is pretty cool yeah giving any of those cards one mana off is like very powerful and you can literally uh, for two mana play this untap and then have spell queller mana up and still have one mana available for other spells yeah. you want to play it seems very actually good. really good yeah you can like serum visions and like to dig and then also spell queller yeah seems mm-hmm. really good a next next card is uh Dire Tactics. This is a black-white instant exile target creature. If you don't control a human, you lose life equal to that creature's toughness. Um, yeah, I almost yeah. skipped this card when I was looking at it in the first place. Um, but what I realized was white-black instant speed exile a creature. 
is actually not as common of an effect as I was thinking. Like I was kind of comparing it to that black white sacrifice a creature, destroy a creature from like one of the recent Ravnica sets. And then I was thinking, and I was like, you know what? Exiling a creature at instant speed for two is actually just very, very, very good. It's an interesting effect because white and black do have better, like for instance, John plays terminate and door Dreadbore, right? Like that's a card that sees play at a Jund. But part of the reason I think that is, is because they're looking for more, like red has less things than white does. Like the, the problem here is you have fail push and path, right? That's what this is competing with. But just straight up exiling anything is like very powerful and being able to like, and having a human is not that hard, right? And it's not like you can't cast this. It's not like cards that make you sacrifice something or you can't cast it unless you reveal a human card. It's literally just like you might lose life on a smaller thing if you don't have a human in play. But yeah. as soon as you have a Thalia or anything kind of relevant sitting on the battlefield, you're you're like so much farther ahead. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, for sure. It's a cool card. I mean, I think I think the application is somewhat narrow. I don't think it'll see a lot of play, but it's definitely notable. I think it, I think it is a card that'll see play. Um, next, we have I think this is on my list of in my probably in my top ten for this set is Dranith Magistrate. He is one white. Uh, your opponents can't cast spells from anywhere other than their hands. Yeah, so this card is totally like he's a one. It, it's funny. One of the things that they they say about magic is that when you're trying to find something powerful, look for redundancy, right? Like look for where where can I get eight copies of something, twelve copies of something, and the concept of hate bears is not so much that as that is as long as they keep printing really really powerful creatures in white and green that cost two or less that just like string together to stop decks from doing things and then cards like fauna shaman tutors collected company court of calling like you start to get like denser and denser and deeper and deeper and just like there will be games where you play this card on turn two and your opponent just is basically not able to do much of anything like it just it shuts off so much of what so many decks try to do so easily and for so cheap yeah, I think I think it's it's interesting. The fact that it's only cast does limit it a little bit more than if it was play or like if 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 a spell were to be, you know, put on the stack from anywhere but your hands in some way. Um, but I think it definitely has it has a lot of it's just, it's another good hate bear, right? Like white gets a lot of good hate bear cards. It's obviously people have been more excited about it in commander sets. Um, just because it shuts down commanders, right? Like you can't cast a commander with this in play. But on yeah. the other hand, I think there's 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 definitely potential as just one of the better white bear, hate bears out of in modern. Um, yeah, if ancestral vision saw more play, this would be like this would be right. like oh great. Right. But like that card doesn't really see a lot of play. But like, like you'll get you'll hit like any cascade, right? Like anything from yeah. Bloodbraid Elf. You'll hit um, the other and, yeah. suspend cards. Yeah, any suspend card. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> any suspend card. Any flashback card. Souls. You'll hit like. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, yeah, it's, it's good. It's a totally good card. Like, it definitely, it definitely is doing cool things, and especially cards that state you can pay them, you can cast them without, you know, paying their casting costs, that kind of a thing. Um, any, any like red effect, exile a card, you know, play it. Like, you may cast that card till end of turn type of effect. Chandra stuff like that. Um, not that I think a lot of people play Chandra at this point in modern, but like any of those effects get shut down by this, which is pretty, pretty good. Right. Right. Um, next we have the Dranith Stinger. It's one in a red human wizard. Whenever you cycle another card, Dranith Stinger deals one damage to each opponent. Cycling one yeah, so, is a two-two. So let's talk about actually the whole entire, uh, the whole entire, like, three, like, I guess there's more of them, but, like, all the cheap creatures that are whenever you cycle, X happens. Because mm-hmm. there's the, there's the one one for one in white that cycles for one that whenever you cycle puts a counter on it. Mm-hmm. There's this guy that deals damage. There's, I think, a third one of significance, right? There's a few. There's one that gains you life. There's the there's the blue enchantment, I think, that blinks a thing under your control, right? It's a flicker yeah, effect. There's, the, there's the three one for two in white that makes a one one whenever you cycle for the first time mm-hmm. on a turn. Mm-hmm. So like that card, any, any of those cards are interesting in modern just for the base level because you have Street Wraith in the format to begin with. So you have the ability to cycle something for free. And then on top of that, they've printed aggressively now so many cheap lands that cycle for one, cards that cycle for a colorless I think there's something interesting about those cards. Like, I actually think that the three one for two is kind of sneaky good. I actually think that like, if if you can cycle every turn and just every time you cycle, you're getting another one one. You can do it on their turn and on your turn. So basically, just like every card in your deck is draw a card, pay one, get a one one. Uh, pretty strong. Like, pretty easy to overwhelm. 
Yeah, I think I think I think anytime you have these cycle trigger effects, we're now getting so many of them in modern that there's more and more likely to be a deck that's based around them. The nice thing about the Dranus Stinger one is that just like free damage off of all of them. One in a previous universe, the damaging one was two damage to any target, but you had to pay one, right? And this is free damage. You just do a damage to something, plus it's attacking them for two as a two-two every turn. So I think this is has a potential. And if it's bad, you cycle it away. It's the power of yeah. cycling. Um but next yeah, there's I would I would argue that, you know, like, again, just because I pulled some of these cards and we I think we're probably not going to talk about them, but there's like a whole bunch of cards they printed into the set that are very interesting takes, right? You have Cancel with Cycling. You have Disenchant Naturalized with Cycling. Like, you have all these cards now that are being printed into Modern that's like, it's just going to be strictly better to be able to main deck one of these cards if you need to. Mm-hmm. Like, I never would main deck Cancel in a deck in Modern ever, right? Mm-hmm. I would pretty much never main deck Naturalized. But if you're telling me that I can cycle it away and sometimes in my opening hand, that's going to be like everything to me to have a naturalize in my opening hand. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe like, mm-hmm. well, right? that's, and that's, I mean, we talked about this a little bit last week where, um, or even maybe two weeks ago on how cycling as a mechanic is, feels like a little bit of a, like I can see cycling becoming evergreen. I, I think like yeah. if I were to pick a mechanic that isn't evergreen right now, um, cycling is that one. And part of that is because of its relationship with best of one. And because of the way it can work in formats where you don't have sideboard slots in a way that is really accessible, it's so powerful, right? It's so necessary to be able to be like, okay, I'm going to play this card that kills three enchantments. Exos three enchantments, but I can cycle it for two. And that card's so much stronger now than, or so much more necessary now that you don't have best of three as an option, as one of the main ways you kind of climb up ladder. So so for, for those formats... I think that's why they're going to see more printing. And then when you go into the older formats, it just means they're versatile, right? Like the amount of cards that like cycle is better and it makes it so no card is ever bad. Um, it's always worst case scenario, an instant speed draw card. Um, the next card on the list, speaking of cycling, is Easy Prey. One in a black, destroy target creature with converted mana cost two or less, cycle two. Um, kind of what we were just talking about, I mean, as a segue, uh, this one is actually like a relevant ability, right? Like destroying a creature two or less. I don't think this is better than Fatal Push, but being able to get rid of it when it doesn't hit targets is helpful. Um, yeah, but it also costing two is what makes it a lot less good. Like if I'm going to play a two man, if I'm going to play a two spell in a deck that's black, like I already have Assassin's Trophy. I've already got Abrupt Decay. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know what I mean? I have a lot of options. So this is a card you didn't pull that I added to the list for the next one. Uh, right. Is Emergent Ultimatum. And this is the, I mean, I mean, kind of can talk about the Ultimatum cycle in general. This is of the different ones. The one I think has, in my opinion, the best chance of seeing play because um, it reads play to Eldrazi <laughs> uh, for seven mana. Um, so if you can cast this anyway, but basically uh, there's this is the there they there's a thing that people have been asking for for 10 years. This is the thing. So there is the cycle of ultimatums from uh, original or from Shards of Alara. Yeah. Most famously was the Grixis ultimatum, which was yep. the like Nicol Bolas Cruel ultimatum. Cruel, yeah, sorry. Cruel cruel ultimatum. Um, This one is now bringing back. There's five more. There's five for the other ones, and all of them have these big flashy effects. They saw play in standard. Uh, Cruel ultimatum has seen play in modern, never in significant ways, but there's always someone trying to make a cruel ultimatum Grixis control deck work, especially pre Kalgan's command, where there wasn't like a value engine. So there was just a ramp up to a win condition moment, because if you cast that card, you win. And a lot of these ultimatums are built in ways where you win the game if you cast them. And even, I believe the Jeskai ultimatum is basically the reverse end half of yeah. the ultimatum, right? Yeah, um, it's gain five, draw five. And do, uh, and then it, it, it lightning helixes and draws five, right? It's, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's similar effect. Um, Emergent ultimatum, though, which is the Saltai one. So black, black, green, 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 blue, blue. Search your library for up to three cards, three monocolored cards with different names and exile them. An opponent chooses one of those cards. Shuffle that card into your library. You may cast the other cards without paying their mana cost. Exile Emergent ultimatum. Sorry, when I said uh, Eldrazi, I was incorrect. But it does let you find like Iona, Grizzlebrand, and... uh, uh, Elishnorn, right? Like it lets you find just like three giant monster creatures that are all monocolor and put them into play in many ways, winning you the game. Um, so I think that 
Yeah, I mean, Iona can single-handedly win a lot of games in Modern. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not a strategy people play much anymore, the Unbearable Rights Iona strategy, but like that and Elish Norn, those are like things people have done for years with Gifts and Given. So right. this is, I mean, it costs seven. I, I, I don't think that any of the ultimatums are actually going to be like a thing, though big mana decks in, in Modern seem to be getting, picking up more and more steam. Right, like you There's, just play, like you play one of these at the top end of an Uro deck and then you, and you just like have it available. I don't know. I think, yeah, I agree that most of them won't see play, but this is in the colors of the ramp too, right? I also think like, I mean, just from playing Moto a bunch the last few weeks, uh, that that like Arbor Elf with Utopia Sprawl thing uh, is like a thing people do a lot. Mm-hmm. It's like definitely a very, very effective ramp strategy. And seven mana is not that much. I mean, it is, it is and it isn't, right? Like it, it, it isn't, I don't know. I mean, we also saw like all those big mana Simic decks in standard this last year. You know, there's just, a, there's like, a lot of like ways to the, do it. The point of the deck that's playing this card is to ramp to this card, right? Like the seven mana is fine if it's your entire game plan and you're able to do it. And there are enough ways to ramp pretty efficiently right now that like, instead of playing, the question is like, is this better than primeval Titan? Right. I guess really. And, and, or would, is this worth going towards versus primeval Titan? Is there a format where primeval Titan isn't as good? And I, I think there are going to be formats where I'd rather just, cast something that wins me the game instantly then well then think yeah but think about also for a second that the the and i'm not saying that the amulet decks would do this but the the amulet decks they're ramping into primeval titan very very early with you know uh dryad of the elysian grove and all that so like if you were to play the ultimatum you just talked about and you search for a primeval titan plus like maybe you're playing a single inferno titan and maybe like a single other incredible thing in the deck that you can just cast anyway and then you put primeval titan and something else into play and the other into your hand how's the how are you supposed to lose that game at that point? right like right right yeah i i agree like i think i think like just sliding this in the decks i mean it, it, it's a little bit flashier and it might be a sideboard card out of those decks that just like need something to win over a tron deck or someone like that where they're like needing to one by one them but yeah, uh, or they need to just go over the top and win the game quickly. Um, but it, it it does something very powerful. <laughs> yeah, Escape Protocol is the next card. Blue and a colorless. Yeah, whenever you cycle a card, you may pay one if you, when you do exile target artifact or creature you control, then return it to the battlefield under its owner's control. So this is like you know Astral Drift is already in modern. Like that's the card that's most comparable to this, and the card that a lot of people were already working with. I know Marshall uh, has an Astral Drift card. Uh, or an actual astral drift cycle deck already. And so this is just another tool to that. Being able to blink creatures has always been powerful if you can gain value off of it. And and it does do that, right? That's that's kind of the thing you're looking to do is gain a lot of incremental value where every card just snowballs you through the game. Um, and this is just a backup game plan to that card. Now, this card is worse because it doesn't cycle itself. Um, right. And it only blinks your own things. One of the things that astral drift is able to do is blink your opponent's stuff in ways that's tricky and easy to fight them. But... You know, you there, there are different options here. Um, yeah. Next is Extinction Event. Let me bring it this up. Is the, this is the black one, right? Black and three, choose even or odd, exile creatures of, that, of even or odd? Correct. Yeah. So, this card is really interesting for... I think the reason this card is interesting is that, number one, they really don't print four mana wraths anymore. So this is not a four mana wrath. But they do print cards like... Uh, what? Like Silence the Believers. There's been like a bunch of four mana black, Vraska's Contempt... Uh, exile a creature for four mana. That's like been a thing now for the last couple years. The fact that this is only single black, so you don't have to be such a heavy black deck to play it, and the fact that you can kind of control how it works and that it exiles. Like a four mana black spell that can exile multiple creatures is pretty strong, actually. Mm-hmm. There's there's something to be said for this card. It's it's a little wonky, and it's funny how the last couple of years they seem to be playing a lot more with the whole even-odd thing. Um, well, this said it's a theme, right? Like the the they've definitely tried it out for a while, and this is the first time where they're like, "Oh no, this is the theme of the set." Or, or yeah. doing even or not. There's the two companion cards that care about even or not. There's this card. There's a few other ones. It's it's a weird... there's the white there's the white one that I had pulled, which is white and two for a three three, mm-hmm. uh, and it has protection. Choose even or odd, and it has protection from uh, spells of that of, yeah. of that even or odd casting cost. Right, which right. I actually think that card is really interesting because if you cast odd, a three three for three that you name odd has protection from Lightning Bolt, has protection from Fatal Puff, has, has protection from Path to Exile, has protection from, like, most of the prominently played removal spells in the format. Yeah, you, you uh, have the, the the Jund removal spells are the only thing you have to really worry about at that point of yeah. Assassin's Trophy and Terminate and Dreadbore. And, yeah, but even then, yeah. three mana stuff, you're also dodging. So it's like, and you dodge Uro, too, which is, like, a weird, it, like, has protection from Uro. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. 
So the next card is Fiend Artisan. This is the card I probably was most excited about during previews. Two hybrid mana, black, green, black, green. Uh, it is a Nightmare 1-1. One, one. Fiend Artisan gets plus one, plus one for each creature card in your graveyard. X, green, black, hybrid mana, so X1. Uh, tap, sacrifice another creature, search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost X or less. Put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. Activate this ability only anytime you can cast a sorcery. So it's like got mad birthing pod vibes. It's got mad value vibes. If people remember mercenaries from back in the day, it's got mercenary vibes. Uh, and and just a two mana gets big based on how many creatures are in your graveyard. Like this could be a two mana four four very easily. Like yet like tar- it, it can be Tarmogoyf size without working very hard. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, it's one-sided, which uh, in terms of the, the the growing, which I think is probably one of the, it makes it a little less good than a Tarmogoyf in that sense, that if they nuke your graveyard, it's just a 1-1. One, one. Um, you know, but like, whereas Tarmogoyf, it, it still reacts to their graveyard as well. Um, I do think that the birthing pod vibes are cool. You have to pay the casting cost of the thing you're searching for, which is the, like, it's a little more like a Satanial Flute, that old card from back in the day. Probably gets played in Commander, I'm guessing, because it like gets huge things. Um, maybe, but uh, it's a little bit more like that. But it definitely does have like a little bit of like a fauna shaman birthing pod type of thing going for it. And I think well, it seems and, sweet. Yeah, and 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 kind of the like yes, you a if they nuke your graveyard, it's a one one again, which is better than what Tarmogoyf would be, right? It becomes a zero one. <laughs> uh, two. And, but Tarmogoyf is easier to make bigger, right? Because getting spells into your graveyard or getting sorceries in your graveyard, getting lands in your graveyard is a lot easier than getting a creature there. But the ability to sack something late game, it, like it, it's a bunch of different cards all put together that it's not as good as maybe all those cards or in some ways it's better uh, or the costing requirements are different, but it has the potential to do a lot of those things. I mean, people were, it was a nightmare of the reliquary was the other thing that people were, comp- it, that it was meant to be creature nightmare, uh, night, night of the reliquary, which is like obviously... Very pretty powerful. Power, powerful place to be, and that costs three mana, and this costs two, and is arguably much easier to cast. Right, green, I think white. The, uh, yep. Yeah, I think the other thing about it that's really cool is so normally a card like this would not be hybrid green black hybrid green black. It would be green black. The fact that you can play this in a mono black deck, right? That you that it's a creature tutor that is in a mono black deck. You think about like think about this on turn two, Jeroff's messenger on turn three, and then the next turn. You activate, you can sacrifice your Jeroff's Messenger. It just comes right back. You're heavy into Devotion to Black. You can chain up the the, the, you know, the tower eventually and get yourself like a Gary into play if you want to just drain him out. There's like really, I mean, that that uh, that black, black zombie that I liked so much that when it died, you could pay X to re- that re- mm-hmm. resurrect something. Relentless Dead is what it's called. There's like really, really cool, heavy mono black grave crawler right. zombie vibes with this card. Shrine of Nykthos is very good with this. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm this is high up there on my favorite things. The next uh, two cards I'm just going to bring up quickly is mostly just they're cool. First one is more probably playable, and that's Fire Prophecy. And this is one red, uh, deals three damage to target creature. You may put a card from your hand on the bottom of your library, and then you may draw a card. So it's it's a three a burn spell that lets you loot backwards, or scrum, rim, rummage, or whatever they're, they're called. Um, yeah. I think that's, I mean, it's two mana, which is a lot, but like that's a lot of card filtering on a weird red card. And these yeah, are- but it doesn't put it, remember, it doesn't put it into the graveyard. It puts it on the bottom of the library. So sure. generally speaking, I mean, I, I'm all about this card. I think this card is really cool. I especially like this card for uh, limited. I think that's like a, an especially awesome place. Mm-hmm. Like I think to me, this feels like a first pick and limited card. Um, but I also think it not putting the card into your graveyard is going to be a little less good for strategies that want to take, you know, take advantage of delving and, mm-hmm. and other things like that. So yeah, it's, it's a totally sweet limited card. Right. I think it's more about filtering your hand, right? It's not about, it's about making your hand better and like getting rid of a land you don't need than it is about, um, filling your graveyard with spells. Uh, the next card, which is just fun that this exists and it's ridiculous is flame spill red two deal four damage to target creature excess damage dealt to that creature it dealt to the controller instead so they've been trying to make trample on a spell a thing for i think 20 years now like they're just like can we put trample on a spell and due to the fact that trample has weird creature rules built into it it doesn't work they finally figured they just did it they're like people will get it <laughs> i think i know I, th- I thought it was funny when i read i was like excess damage like you're trusting you're trusting your audience to read that and just like know what that mm-hmm. means 
like it doesn't say damage dealt beyond lethal damage to this creature is dealt to its controller, mm-hmm. which is I like figured like that's the way they would normally write it. Excess damage trusts you to actually know what the f you're talking about. And and this is kind of the another thing you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, how complicated this set felt, how this set felt, and how weird a lot of these rules and mechanics were. This set, like un not unstable on. Unstable, whatever the most recent one is, because it's unstable, unhinged, unglued. So unstable. No, un- unstable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, unstable had this card in it. Unstable had a version of mutate in it, right? Like so that that set was very much almost a like, let's release this. If people get it, then this set's okay. If people don't get it, then we have to maybe rework these things because the timing also kind of is like right when development was happening. They definitely were like seeding stuff to see like, oh, how problematic is it going to be to have these kind of effects in a game? And and people responded so positively that I think it carried over. Um, and I think this is the card that's like kind of the signifier of that. Flourishing Fox, which is the card. You- Flourishing Fox is the one we talked about already, right? That's the one white one oh, yeah. cycle. Well, I, I do I want believe. to bring it up again because we brought it as a, a greater cycle. This is a card I think could see real play, though. Like, yeah, this I like gets, this card. Uh, Flourishing Fox is one white uh, creature fox. Whenever you cycle another card, put a plus one, plus one counter on Flourishing Fox. Cycling one, it is a one, one. But it's a one mana, one, one that gets real big uh, if you're playing a cycling themed deck, right? If you're playing those actual side decks, you can get this pretty big pretty quickly. If it's late game and you don't need a one mana one one, uh, you can just cycle it too for one mana, which is like whenever anything has cycling one, you should relook at it. Not only because there's decks like, uh, uh, um, not ad nauseum, sorry. Uh, there's decks like Living End uh, in modern where like the more cycling one drops you have that are big, dirty creatures, the better. Also, even in this mode, like, if I draw this on turn seven, I can just cycle it and get it away. And then I can move on and get whatever the next spell is. Or I can play it as a threat that I need as I cycle other cards to make it bigger. Do you think this gets slotted into those like hollow one style decks? I do think this card sees play with hollow one. Like I think those two go together. But I don't think the the like a bunch of red spells that just make me discard a bunch of cards and taking advantage yeah. of at discard triggers is is where this card would want to find a home. Um the which is something that's interesting about the set in general amonkhet was very much like discard and cycling right they were kind of always attached yeah, to each other yep. this one doesn't have those attached there are discard there, there are things that obviously trigger off a discard and we'll get to a blue red legend eventually that is like all about that but it's not as attached as it was in amonkhet the next card is general kudo of Dranith. uh he is the one black white legendary creature human soldier he is a three three uh other humans you control get plus one plus one uh whenever uh he or another human enters the battlefield under your control. Exile target card from an opponent's graveyard. You can pay two and sacrifice two humans. Destroy target creature with power four or greater. So you have a lord, a human lord for humans, which is just a relevant thing. And But the thing that humans, I think, is important and best at is all of its cards kind of interact with their opponents in ways that's like, incremental uh uh you know thalia makes things a little bit more expensive uh kite cell freebooter makes them discard a card for a moment uh uh um the blue white human that i always forget the name of uh meddling mage uh lets you stop them from playing a spell right like it's all mitigated uh uh interaction while you're beating them down with just efficient threats and this guy does all of those things, right? He like pumps all your team, making your team better. He starts eating their graveyard. So you get graveyard removal out of it. And then you can also start killing stuff like Uro and primeval Titan and any big creature they play. Um, I think this is a pretty easy, I don't know how many of them you play, but I think he slides into human decks with, as at least a one of in sideboards, if not something more significant. I think it's interesting when you look at those tribal decks, what modern is really proven time and time again is that once you get past two mana in one of the tribal decks, the slots become super, super, super competitive for what you actually want to play in the three drop slot. Because like the humans deck, for instance, like when they, when they printed uh, militia bugler, it was like, okay, like this card feels like it's a shoe in for humans, right? How could you not want to play a three drop? That's a two, two that digs for more humans. Like that seems like a shoe in, right? And like, I feel like they've printed other things over time, similarly to merfolk where, at a certain point, there's just not enough room to play all mm-hmm. the cards you want to play. Mm-hmm. Like you just can't play all the good things on curve at three. So, you know, this card is reminiscent to me a little bit of Anafenza, the foremost, the four, four for three that prevents like graveyard shenanigans your opponents have. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obviously a, it's not a lord, but it's like similar in that like tricolor three drop slot. I feel like probably this gets played in that same slot because I don't think human stacks are like 
fiending for more lords to push them through. I feel mm-hmm. like they have enough power to usually win the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I don't know if I don't know if like his exiling one card when he comes down on turn three is going to be enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to actually get the job done. And again, sacrificing two humans to destroy something for greater is a good thing. But if they're resolving primeval Titans and the cost of them resolving, resolving like primeval Titan is to kill two of your creatures. That's probably not great for you. Like that's probably, you're probably losing the game. If every giant creature they cost costs you two of your creatures to get rid of. Sure. So I don't know. I think it's, I think it's good, but I'll bet it's like a one or two. of. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I won't even say more than a one of, I, I don't think this is a card you need multiples of, but once you draw one, you would be happy to have just the versatility of it. Um, the next card, which is on theme with this and maybe is better, um, is General's Enforcer. And this is black and, and white human soldier 2-3. Uh, legendary humans you control have indestructible. You can pay two black and white exile target creature from a graveyard. If it was a creature card, create a 1-1 white human soldier creature token. That second half is maybe value at the end of the game when you need something that's good late game and you just need to be able to do something with your extra mana. But a two mana 2-3 human that makes all other... makes legendary humans indestructible when there are so many powerful legendary humans seems like something that also has potential just protecting a thalia like how does a deck you have to have path to exile to beat a thalia into this into a thalia <laughs> it's like an on curve two three in a deck that wants more humans that then makes all of your other cards in the deck more resilient that's the kind of card that feels like depending on the metagame you'd play more of them right you'd be like okay against the burn deck it's going to just try to burn my guys out. Like, I'll just play this. If it eats a lightning bolt, fine. You know, it's going to cost you two to cast it because Thalia is in play. Like, you're really behind at that point. Yeah, like, and and I think it, it's a special type of deck where you need to be more on the legendary. But even stuff like Malira combo, where this protects Malira just by itself, right? So, like, there's a lot of different decks that I think have enough legendary humans as cards in their deck just adjacently that can take advantage of this in a way. Um, yeah. that, that's interesting. Uh, the next card after general Kudo is heartless act. Find oh, out what oh, that card oh, is. oh, this card is a heater. Um, and I think it's my pick for best removal in the set, which is saying a lot. You even, Oh, this card's one? a heater. I'm so excited. Uh, about card. Black and colorless, uh, heartless act is an instant choose one destroy target creature with no counters on it or remove up to three counters from target creature. Now, there's not that many creatures that have counters on them in modern. Uh, it is not that common of a thing you have to deal with. So just that as a card is pretty much just the best version of Doomblade we have. You know, it's not, uh, it's not, it's not uh, like I think at that point you still play um, um, Assassin's Trophy or uh, what's it called over it, but um, what's it called is Terminate. Uh, but the other feature of this card, which allows you to make a uh, thing in the ice lose all of its counters just by casting it by itself is fascinating. (laughs) And being able to just get a Grixis removal spell that's good 99% of the time in the format on top of also being a combo piece with one of the better threats in modern seems sweet. It seems so sweet. It also combos with one of my all-time favorite cards in Chronozoa. That was the first thing I thought of when I looked at this card. Uh, I had always wanted to make the Fate Transfer Chronozoa deck. Does it? So, Can you target... Is it a creature when it's in the suspend zone? No, Chronozoa's not suspended. Oh, here. Oh, so it's, oh, oh. Chronozoa is one blue, six. three colorless for a 3-3 three, three, like amoeba or whatever flying. And that has vanishing. And when the last counter is removed, it goes to the graveyard. And if, when it's placed in the graveyard, it has no counters on it. It doubles and comes back as two copies. Um, so I love the idea that I could play playing a thing in the ice deck with Chronozoa and four of these, and I just have a really good removal spell that, like, end of turn, when you tap out for your spell, I target my Chronozoa with this, and it doubles, and then I can attack with both of them, and they both tick down to two. Like, that seems pretty solid to me. Now, granted, the thing in the ice flipping and getting rid of all my tokens seems horrible, but uh, they're both creatures that want... And, oh, you can play Chise, Heart of Oceans. Remember that card? No. <laughs> blue, I think it's from. I think it's from. I think it's from Kamigawa. I think it's Probably blue right blue two for here. a four four. What? Yeah, right there. I think it's here. blue blue two for a flying four four legendary creature at the beginning of your upkeep. Remove a counter from a permanent you control. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Okay. Which like seems really solid. I like what we're. It's a lot of like blue four, but like still seems cool. This card is sweet though, and also because think about a couple of the other things you. Can so you kill lots of creatures. There's also a decent number of planeswalkers that oh, turn, turn themselves. Creatures. 
into yeah. creatures. Like, you know, like Gideon turning itself into a creature and maybe you've already hit it once and, and all of a sudden you just play this and you've killed Gideon, right? There's uh, in, in modern cube right now, there's the red five drop planeswalker that makes dragons um, that uh, he makes a four, four dragon. He also turns himself into a dragon, I think. There's like a decent number of planeswalkers that turn themselves into creatures. Well, there's, there's one. like the coolest one is, I mean, my favorite is Sarkon from War of the Spark, right? He turns all of your planeswalkers into creatures. Yes. Yeah, so is that the one I'm thinking of? Maybe that, the yeah. red Sarkon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The red Sarkon yeah, is yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm talking about, which is like, that's pretty great. So I, I think this card is super solid. Like, I actually think this card is going to have a home in modern for sure. Well, this, this, the, the other card, and I don't know if, it, I think we won't get it today because I'm going to talk about it now because I'm so excited. The Ozolith. Uh, yes. which is the one mana artifact that if a creature were to die with counters on it, you can move those counters to the Ozolith. And then at the end of your first main step or before combat, you can move those counters onto another creature. Um, if you turn a planeswalker that dies. So if you take say the big Gideon and you ultimate him and it dies when you ultimate him as a creature, uh, and then you can then move those loyalty counters onto the Ozolith. On your next turn, if you use Sarkon or another Gideon that has an ultimate that's relevant, or another creature that has an ultimate that's relevant, you can then move those loyalty counters onto it, and then ultimate with it. Just epically, just jumping from Planeswalker alt to Planeswalker yeah, alt you just to Planeswalker alt. moving them off of Ozolith. So, like, in a weird Planeswalker tribal deck, then who knows what, how modern playable. But, like, so you have the five mana, you have a few Sarkons that turn into dragons. You have a few Gideons that turn into to, 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 to creatures. Is there, I think those are the only two characters right now that have I become a creature and attack powers as part of their power suite. Because Nissa, Nissa always does, makes lands. And this is makes lands. Koth makes lands. They both kind of do the same side of that. So I think those are the main two. But Sarkon being able to do it to any Planeswalker is what's insane, right? Like the Ozolith with Sarkon in play, you can literally just make any Planeswalker ultimate on the next turn that Gideon dies. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm excited about it. Uh, there's a bunch of other stuff we'll talk about Ozolith later. I just want to talk about the dumb Planeswalker mechanic today as we talked about Heartless Act. Hunted Nightmare, Ben. You oh, this card's this. exciting. I, I I can tell you what it does. It's a uh, black, black one for a four or five menace nightmare creature with sweet art. When it enters the battlefield, you put a death touch counter on one creature uh, your opponent controls. Um, and it's playing off the old hunted theme. It's not as good as the old hunted creatures because, well, or, or in some ways it's better than the old hunted creatures, I guess. But a four or five menace for three is like good like in a world where you get like Gurmag anglers and stuff like that it's a little less compelling but the fact that it has evasive is pretty strong and if they don't have a creature then they just that counter doesn't go anywhere so uh i like this card this card's sweet <laughs> and uh the last card <laughs> i have, I have <laughs> the, for those who know there's a hunted handsome deck out in the world ben played it at uh gp san diego and it involved playing Stuff like ratchet bombs and engineered explosives to kill the tokens from the hunted cycle of cards from Ravnica. Yeah, yep. I'm so glad I knew all of those things. Uh, <laughs> and uh, basically, and Leyland of Singularity was the big thing. So it made it so that the tokens would cancel each other out due to the way the legendary rule worked at the time. And now that legendary rule changed, making the deck not function anymore. But Ben is probably. Um, Doubly excited for all cards <laughs> in the hunted cycle to be printed. And this is a new hunted creature. It is doing it says, the hunted thing. It says hunted on it. It says, it says hunted, hunted on, on it. And it's handsome. So the last cards we will be talking about today uh, to wrap up the episode is the land cycle. So this is the, there are the tricycle lands. Yes. Uh, in Dotha Triumph, or the Triumph. So they are three, five lands. They all tap, they enter the battlefield tap. They all tap for one of three colors. Uh, the, the wedges, the wedges, and they all also have those types. So, for instance, Indatha Triome is the uh, Abzan, uh, or Indatha, the Abzan color combo, which is green, black, white. It is a plain swamp forest and taps for all those three types of mana. Enters the battlefield tapped, and you can pay three mana to cycle it. So, um, similar to the bicycle lands. Uh, which people hated the name of for some reason, so I'm sticking the tricycle, uh, which was from Amonkhet. And those were allied colored lands that for two mana you could cycle them, and they, but they also had the land type, so you could fetch for them. So these are the second time they've ever printed cards with the ability to be fetched that produce three colors of mana. This is the first cycle. The first time they did it was the Tree Folk land from... Murmuring Bosk. Um, Murmuring Bosk from... Oh, from Morning Tide. Morning Tide, yeah. One of the, one of the Laurelwind four blocks, and that was... 
uh, a forest, and that's it. Because uh, that whole tribe was about, like, all these creatures were kind of like half forest, half creatures at the same time, because they're tree, tree folk. Um, these are just a full cycle. They enter the battlefield tapped. They are trialing. They enter tapped, which is, I know, a, a problem for people. Though, the fact that they're fetchable... Like, I play with the bicycle lands actually probably more than other people in modern even at this point, just because there are turns where you can, like, turn one, if I don't have a Thoughtseize in Junt, I'll just put a cycle land in play. That way I don't draw yeah. it. I fetched for it. It was going to end the battlefield tapped anyways. But then late game, being able to draw a, a lands that you don't need and being able to cycle them away is really powerful. And this does it for three lands. I think these are worse than the bicycle lands. I'm going to be on the record there. Being able to cycle for two is better than getting a third color and a mana. But I can imagine playing one of these and two bicycle lands or just one of the like if I'm only playing one, one of these over one of the other ones in like John or in a in a any of these color combo decks, I can see being a thing I would do. Um, it's, it's also like the ease of use to get up to three types so easily means that stuff like Wild McCoddle and stuff like tri- strategies like that are, are kind of it's an interesting new sort of wrinkle to tackle. Um, I think that the where these cards are going to shine the most will be in bigger, like, 100-card formats where you want to be able to, like, search for the one. Like, in Highlander, sure. I think we'll play probably yeah. all of these. from Canadian Highlander to Roulette to uh, even Commander and Brawl yeah. and, and all those. And they, like, the, fact that, the fact that they cycle, yeah, it makes them really strong. I think in Modern, in the right deck, with enough fetches, you'll play one of these in every one of those decks, unless it's, like, a deck that absolutely needs untapped lands every turn. But if you're, like, a more controlly three-color deck in these colors and you're playing fetch lands, like, you definitely will play one of these. Because, like you just said... You will just search for a tap to end of turn on turn one a lot of the time. Like, that's going to be totally fine to do. Yep, I agree. A, the the alternate arts on these are amazing. There's some of them, like the comic book altered art cards from this set. We didn't really talk much about them. We'll talk about it later. But they're they're gorgeous. And hopefully Marshall has them on screen right now. Um, yeah, they're really but, cool looking. But uh, the, the, yeah, the, the base versions of these, I think they'll see some play. Like, I, I think a Tri-Land, like I've... Uh, uh, Murmuring Bosk saw play, right? And I think these are strictly better than Murmuring Bosk. This one specifically. Like, uh, uh, yeah, I think actually just it is because you don't lose life to tap it for black and white and you have the ability to cycle it. They both enter the battlefield yeah. tap. So, like, if Murmuring Bosk saw play, I guess Murmuring Bross entered untap if you controlled a tree folk. That was its yeah. like, one move. And so, 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 so it's a little better in that. I think if you, yeah, if you controlled or reveal, I can't remember which. I think it's reveal. It's still, I don't. It is not strictly bet worse, but I no, because you can't cycle it, and also like it's pain land and all that stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I think I think these cards are cool. I mean, I'm excited about these. Cards. So, so that's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Um, and we will uh, see you guys next week. Uh, hopefully. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, I'm healthy. Is what you yeah, hopefully, think hopefully, Ben will be healthy. Hopefully, uh, uh, you know, I, I it. Hopefully you guys are all doing okay. Wash your hands, wear breath masks, don't touch people or things. Um, we we uh, uh, are really excited. You know, thanks Wizards for letting us do kind of the the the, the early preview streams on uh, for free uh, this this last week. Um, make sure to check us out on Twitch. I'm at Kess Wiley or twitch.tv slash Kess Wiley, and then uh, Kess Wiley K E S S W Y L E everywhere. Twitter, Instagram. If you type that in onto a social media, TikTok. Uh, big shout out to, I did a big TikTok with Zbex and a bunch of other people. That was really awesome. Uh, make sure to check that out. I, if you hadn't seen it, it like went more viral than I expected. So that was really, really, really dope. Um, they're all really cool. Uh, and, uh, yeah. Anything else? All right. Awesome guys. Thank you so much. Perfect. Try to knock out the second part of this soon. Thanks everybody. Bye guys. Bye.